Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to the It's Hard Podcast. I am Paige Boner, your host. And if you're new here, welcome. This is a podcast centered around mental health and hard things in life, just making them digestible and, you know, approachable, but also everything, you know, should be somewhat relatable, excuse me. Um, And so I'm really happy you're here. This podcast has been going on for three years now, and it's just been such a blast and so much fun, a lot of hard work, but it's worth it. So I'm really grateful that you're here. And if you've been here for a while, welcome back. Thank you so much for always listening and following along. I really appreciate it. Um, excuse my nasally voice. I'm a little sick. I'm getting over a cold, but everyone I feel like is sick right now. So just wash your freaking hands and take care of yourself and stay home if you're sick. I kid you not, you guys, I drove, not drove, that's a lie. I flew all the way to New Jersey for a work trip on Tuesday and I thought I was getting better. Clearly I wasn't. I woke up at 3 a.m. in my hotel with an ear infection and just a super bad fever and just like coughing up a storm, so sick. And um, a day later, I literally had to turn around and fly back. I was supposed to go to New York, all these places, and I couldn't go because I was so freaking sick. So listen to your body. If COVID taught us anything, we should just stay home when we're sick. So I need to um, get back into following my gut a little bit more. It's what I'm working on right now. But I'm so excited for today's episode. Um, I'm always excited for every episode, but this is a hard conversation. I want to say that. And I don't want to say that and have it stray you away from listening because obviously we're, we're very genuine as well. And Lauren is really light about her experience with chronic illness, but chronic illness is a really heavy topic and it's really challenging. But what's really interesting about it is I feel like a lot of people don't really know much about it. I know a little bit more because if you listen to Corey Gardner's episode on my first season, she talks about her experience with um, Crohn's as well, but it is a really just interesting topic. And it's something that we don't have a lot of education on. And clearly, as Lauren shares in her story, she went on misdiagnosed or undiagnosed for so long. And so clearly, there's just a lot of misinformation in general. And there was, and now it's becoming more common. But people are experiencing different types of chronic illnesses every day and maybe don't even know it or haven't quite diagnosed or been diagnosed with what they have. And so even if you're someone who doesn't struggle um, to know what it is and know what someone would go through during that time can just create a lot of empathy and space for someone. And so I would really hope that you take the time to listen, to understand someone's perspective in this space. And maybe you've heard of someone who's struggled with something like this and, you know, you can be a sounding board and just learn a little bit more about the ins and outs of chronic illness. So Lauren Cunningham is awesome. She came on obviously to speak about her experience being diagnosed with Crohn's, but her struggle with getting diagnosed. Um, and now she has her own podcast. She's had, you know, great guests on and and she also creates recipes um, just to make cooking easier. And obviously is probably more, you know, towards her illness and kind of finding foods that work for her, but also just for everybody in general. And so um, you can check out all of her stats and website and everything below. 
I loved chatting with her and I really would recommend she does one-on-one coaching. She has an ebook that's free. So go check out all of her stuff on her website for just a ton of great resources um, for somebody in the wellness space. And so enjoy this episode with Lauren Cunningham. I hope that this just enlightens you a little bit and helps you learn. And if you are somebody who struggles with chronic illness, I hope this helps you to just feel a little bit less alone in what you're going through and know that this is seriously something that people struggle with. And I know I've learned a lot through Corey's story and now through Lauren's story as well. So thanks so much for being here, you guys. I hope you have a great rest of your week. Just really excited to to chat with you today, Lauren, and, and just learn a little bit more about your story, your hard thing, if you will. Obviously, some things that we'll talk about are, you know, just everyday hard things. And then some things maybe more along your lines are things that have existed in a really significant way and have really shown up in your life. Um, that is really challenging. I know someone in my life who struggled, you know, with Crohn's and different things like this that you're going to talk about. And then also other things that might come up as well. But if you wouldn't mind just kind of taking the mic and, you know, sharing a little bit more about yourself and sort of what inspired you to, you know, want to share your story and kind of dive into that today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I I do enjoy sharing my story. I think that, you know, when I was going through my hard thing, if you will, um, it was people who were sharing their stories with me that really helped me. And so I think that's kind of why I am very passionate about sharing my story and I love podcasts as well. So this is just kind of perfect and, and fit right in. And so, yeah, I can just go back into my like health journey if that's where you want to go with it right now. Now. Um, so I started getting kind of sick in, um, high school. So I was a freshman. We were actually on vacation in Chicago and, um, I, my stomach started hurting and they thought it was appendicitis. I went to the hospital actually, which is like so dramatic, but it totally, you know, is on brand for me, but I went to the hospital in Chicago and they did a scan and they're like, it's not appendicitis. Like, I don't know what it is. So they gave me fluids sent me back to the hotel with my family and it was, it was fine for a while. And then I just continually would have stomach pain and it was just kind of random. It wasn't like, I mean, it was sometimes after I would eat, but then sometimes it would just be a random time of the day. And so, um, we just couldn't figure out what it was. And at that point that was like, I I graduated high school in 2015. So that was kind of like 2012 to 2015 of, you know, people weren't really having autoimmune diseases. They weren't as prevalent as they are now. And a lot of people were going misdiagnosed. And so that was definitely my story. I ended up being sick really for three years before um, my senior year. I think it was like September of my senior year. I was just really sick and it stopped being just stomach pain. And it was like random fevers and body aches. And like, nobody knew what was wrong with me. I was exhausted all the time. And I do have this other blood condition, which is totally unrelated and it can make you more tired than usual. And so they thought that it was just that, and that condition actually masks low iron. And so it looks like I always have low iron with this blood condition but I don't. And, um, so most people with this, you know, just go their whole life without having low iron, but I actually did have low iron because I was bleeding internally because my intestines were so inflamed. And so that kind of masked that. And so it was honestly just a perfect storm. And so finally went to a GI doctor, which hindsight, I mean, when your stomach hurts for three years, it's like, why did we not go to a GI doctor? But we didn't. And, you know, I mean, we were very attentive. I got tested for mono 
like five times through that time because they thought, oh, it's mono, your stomach hurts, you're really tired, you don't feel good. But finally went to a GI doctor and um, had a scope and uh, they told me it was Crohn's disease. And so that was in the spring of my senior year of high school. And so I went on just like an oral medication and oral steroid. And honestly, at that point, it was probably just, I was too far gone for that to really make a difference. And so um, that summer was just a really rough summer of just horrible stomach pain. And so like the pain was like more like spasm, like, so my, my stomach would just tighten up and then release. And there really wasn't any rhyme or reason to it. Um, It got worse if I would eat a lot, you know, or not even a lot, but just like eat normally. And so I would go to like clear liquid diet or full liquid diet. And so really for like nine or 10 months, I ate rice and mashed potatoes. Like that was my main food group. Like I was losing weight like crazy. Um, Finally went on a stronger medication. So they call them biologics and you've probably heard of them like on TV, like Humira and Remicade. And so, um, I went on Remicade, which is an infusion every eight weeks. And I think that was helping, but again, I was just kind of too far gone. And so at one point, right before I started college, so this would have been like August of 2015, my, um, intestines completely swelled shut. So it's called a bowel blockage and nothing can pass through, So went to the hospital, they put an NG tube in, which is like a tube that goes up your nose, down your throat, into your stomach and drains, you know, your stomach. And so I was in the hospital for about five days. And I think that was kind of when my family was like, okay, this is not good. (laughs) Like she's not getting better. And, um, I remember my parents saying like, you don't have to start college. Cause I was supposed to start in like two weeks. And I was so type a, I couldn't even imagine not starting college on time. Cause I'm like, why well, have to finish in four years? Like I, I have to do this. And so I did, I started college and then six weeks later had another bowel blockage, spent five days in the hospital, went back to college after that and, um, stayed for the rest of the semester. And after that second bowel blockage, I won't say I felt better, but it wasn't, um, as bad. Like I just, I kind of felt like I was like plateauing and that maybe I was getting a little better, maybe not, but I certainly wasn't worse. And then when I started the second semester, so in January, um, my stomach just was hurting so bad one day. So I went to the hospital thinking it was another blockage. And they were like, it's not, we don't actually know what's wrong. And so they transported me. I'm in East Tennessee. So between Knoxville and Chattanooga. And so Knoxville was the hospital that I was at. Um, And so they transported me to Vanderbilt in Nashville by ambulance because they were like, we don't know you're, you need to go to where your specialist is. And so um, once I was there, they kind of evaluated me and realized that surgery was really the only option at this point. I was just too far gone. Um, and surgery is kind of like a do-over, you know, and for me, I was fortunate that my disease was all in one spot. So some people, I think it's more rare, but some people can have Crohn's disease like in different locations. And so then surgery is not really an option because they can't just take like a bunch of different areas of your intestine. And so luckily mine was all in one concentrated area. And so I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks because they wanted to calm down the inflammation so that they wouldn't have to take a lot of my intestine. And so, um, I kind of had a little bit of a setback. Um, I was supposed to be on like a liquid diet and for some reason they gave me broccoli and I ate it cause I was hungry. And so I, I mean, I didn't imagine that they, you know, mixed up the food. I'm like, well, I guess I'm supposed to have this. And so after that, 
that was when they realized like, we've got to get this surgery done because I was in horrible pain just to kind of put it um, in perspective. So, you know, if you're in pain, a lot of times they give you morphine. Well, they had given me Dilaudid, which is 10 times the strength of morphine. And so, I mean, I was like out of it. I mean, completely, like, I don't even remember those days really. And, um, it was the only thing that would make me just like relax. I think physically, obviously, cause I was in pain, but also mentally because I was terrified. And so anyways, I had the surgery and, um, it went well, it was fine. But since I'd been on steroids for a while, um, they had told me that I would have to have an ostomy bag for about six months. Um, initially they thought it was going to be like two or three, but it ended up being six because of everything else that's happens after this part of the story. But, um, so I went home from the hospital and honestly was like, okay, I can do this. Like I had already dropped out of college that semester. And I was like, I'm just home for a few months. I just need to focus on healing. So I was home for a couple of days when I started getting really nauseous and my surgeon was like, you should go to the hospital, get this checked out. That's not normal. So I go to the hospital and I was sort of like a medical mystery for a few days. Um, they really had no idea. Some of my levels were really weird and they didn't make sense. And like, nothing was like wrong with the surgery site. Like it was just so strange as to why I was you know, kind of nauseous, but also had almost like a little bit of pain in my chest area. And so it was just very odd. And so they kept me in the hospital. And finally, after a few doctors kind of put their heads together, they were like, I think she has SMA syndrome, which is superior mesenteric artery syndrome, which is extremely rare. And, um, actually only one doctor in the hospital had ever seen it. And some doctors don't even believe it in it. Like they think it's more of a phenomenon. Like they don't think it's real. And so they ended up scoping me. So they did an endoscopy and they saw the sir or the doctor that saw it was like, that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And I'm like, this is, I felt like a test patient, you know, but, um, I, so basically what it is, is I had lost so much weight, um, because I hadn't eaten really in like nine months, but especially while I was in the hospital, cause I was on clear liquids. And so, you know, when you lose weight on the outside, you also lose it on the inside. And so there's a fatty pad that was around that artery and that fatty pad completely disappeared. So the artery closed in on my stomach. And so that wasn't allowing food to pass through. And so the only way to reverse this syndrome is to gain weight, but you can't eat. And so it's kind of like a, you know, what do you do? And again, like I said, nobody really knew what to do because they had never seen this before. And there really isn't a treatment plan for it. And so, um, you know, and just for reference, like I'm 5'10, so I'm pretty tall. And I was under a hundred pounds at that point. Like you could see my bones, like it was terrible. I mean, and my mom even remembers because she was in the hospital the whole time with me. She's like, I remember just like seeing, you know, helping you change your clothes and just seeing like your whole back, you know. And so at that point, you're like, what do we do now? And they said, Well, you just need to go home, you need to rest, and you need to drink 2,000 calories per day. And so they're like, you can, yes, drink. So like milkshakes, uh, protein shakes, like boost, uh, whatever it is, just go home and drink it. And so that was the treatment plan. And so I go home and I lasted, I think two nights, maybe, uh, maybe just one, I can't remember. And I was like, I mean, just mentally, like the toll that that takes on you. I mean, I couldn't drink a milkshake for like six years after that. I mean, I was like, so 
it's really been just this year that I can actually stomach the thought of a milkshake because I had to drink so many. And, you know, my dad is very much like a, just do it. Like it, you just need to do it. And I'm like, I cannot drink another milkshake. And so the pain started getting worse, like in my chest. And so again, like there's no way to tell when this reverses itself. And so, I mean, I guess you could do another scope, but they weren't going to do that. And so, you know, I'm like, I'm just sitting at home, not knowing if I'm getting better or not. And so I ended up going back to the hospital because I was in pain and, um, they ended up putting me on IV nutrition, which I'm sure all of the doctors would agree that hindsight, they should have done that probably before I even had surgery to keep my weight up. But um, they put me on IV nutrition. So I was getting 2000 calories per night through an IV. And I could also like eat and drink clear liquids. And um, then I got like graduated to a full liquid diet. So I started gaining like a pound a day. And so that was really great. But again, there's no really real way to tell if this reverses itself. And so they discharged me after like a week and a half. And said, just go home. I was still on the IV. So home health would come in. And, um, I think they would, I don't I don't think they came in every day. My mom was the one that like actually had to hook up the IV and like do all of that. And so I would, you know, still be hooked to the IV pole at night, which that was really hard because, you know, mentally you're not in the hospital anymore, but you're still like prisoner to this IV pole for 12 hours a day. And so that was really difficult, but, um, Anyways, finally, a couple weeks later, I go to the doctor and they're like, well, you should just try to eat something. And if you throw it up, then it's not, you're not better. But if you don't, and you don't have any pain with it, then it's reversed itself. And so I, you know, hadn't eaten in a long time, like real food. And so I was craving a taco. And so I was like, can I have a taco from Taco Bell? (laughs) And my doctor was like, whatever, just get a small taco and don't, don't go crazy. Don't put fire sauce on it. Like just eat the taco. And so I, I did, and I was not sick afterwards. And so, I mean, we've not like, I guess I have had a scope since then and, you know, everything's fine. But, um, at that point they were just like, I guess it reversed itself. And so, um, they took the pick line out, which was what the IV was in. And, um, yeah, I, that we guess it reversed itself. So that was in probably like May of that year. So May of 2016. And then in July of 2016, I had the ostomy bag reversed. So I had the reversal surgery, which was also a pretty invasive surgery, um, because I had too much scar tissue. So sometimes they can do it laparoscopically, but I had too much scar tissue. So they had to open me up again. And then I started my sophomore year of college a couple weeks later. (laughs) So it was, it was crazy, honestly, like even recounting it and telling like the story is sometimes wild to think about it. Cause I, some of it, I feel like I've blocked from my memory and, you know, I just, I don't know, some of it, I don't remember. And, and so it is kind of crazy to just, you know, think about it now. Cause it's been six years, I guess. And yeah, I mean, and I've on and off, you know, been, you know, sick or had flare ups in the last six years, but nothing compared to, to that. So yeah, that's kind of my story. <laughs> Wow. That is, you know, nothing like I've ever heard before. It's just wild how much you went through. And it is crazy to think about, like you probably did block out so much of it. And then on top of it too, you, I I feel like when we're going through trauma like that, we're not thinking about it as trauma in the moment. You know, we're just like, I just got to survive. Like you're probably just in survival mode. Where were you at mentally? Like you've said a couple of things about like mentally where you're at, but you're 
in college, like trying to just be a normal, you know, young person. And you're going through these incredibly rare health issues or these incredibly painful health issues. You're in the hospital. I mean, you, at one point were like, went back to the hospital, went back to the hospital, went back to like, that's not normal. So where were you at, you know, mentally just as you were going through this? Yeah. So it's funny to say, but I feel like the hardest part was actually the times when I wasn't in the hospital. And so like the times when I was in college and trying to act like I was normal, but secretly going to our little refrigerator and heating up my rice because that's all I could eat, you know, and uh, as a freshman, I mean, obviously they talk about like the freshman 15 and all of that, you know, and I lost the freshman 15. Like I lost weight that semester because I couldn't eat anything. And I went to a school, which I imagine it's the same everywhere where they give free food out everywhere. You know, it's like every turn there's, oh, somebody set up giving out free food. And I remember one time for one of my classes, we got this, a lot of like, I can't remember what restaurant it was, but they came and I want to say it was like Zaxby's or Chick-fil-A or something. And they were set up and they gave us all this like free, you know, meal. And I had to give mine to my roommate because I couldn't eat it. And like, I know that sounds so trivial, but again, like mentally, it's just kind of taxing to, to feel because nobody as a freshman, especially wants to feel like they're different than everybody else. And I was totally different than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, also it's not really a conversation starter when you're in college. And so I think I did find it hard to relate to people, but, um, you know, when I was in the hospital, I felt safe because I was around doctors and nurses, even though they didn't necessarily know what was wrong with me. Like, I think I was a little bit naive too, because, um, a couple of years after all that, you know, had happened, one of my friend's moms was talking about, um, just like my journey to another lady. She was telling her about it. And I was standing right there and she was like, yeah, we didn't think you were going to make it. And I, that had never really crossed my mind. Like I had never thought that I was going to die, but I guess I really could have, you know, looking back. And so I think I was a little bit naive in the moment. And like you said, you, you really said it best. I was in survival mode. Like I, you just, there's nothing else you can do except for, you know, survive. And so that's kind of, how I was, I remember, you know, it, it's definitely changed the way I view, like when people are sick in the hospital or whatever, you know, cause I, I mean, I grew up in the Bible belt, you know, and everybody's like, Oh, I'm praying for you, you know? And it's like, but sometimes when you're in the moment, like, I don't care if somebody's praying for me, I just want to get better, you know? And so, and that's like a tough thing to kind of say, because I, I mean, I am a Christian. And so that was a, that was a difficult thing to kind of comprehend, especially as an 18 year old, you know, like you're just sitting there, like, what is happening to me? Like, and why, why is it happening to me, happening to me? Like, I'm a good person, you know, like I'm not out there, you know, causing, you know, harm to other people. So why do bad things happen to good people? And so that was a really hard thing to kind of reconcile, especially as an 18 year old. And I think that's why I did block some of it from my memory. Um, one of my mom's friends was having me, um, she was like, you should journal through this. And I'd never journaled before. And, um, so I did journal through it. I've only gone back and read it once and it was awful. You know, I was like, I never want to read this again, mm-hmm. but I'm glad that I did. Cause I'm sure one day I want to look back and I'm sure there are so many details in that journal right now that I don't remember because again, you're in survival mode. And so it is almost like you have like a lot of adrenaline and like, you're just trying to, to, you know, get to the next day. So yeah, it was crazy. And mentally, 
I was not well. Um, I left the hospital and that was really difficult because I had gone, I mean, I had been in the hospital for the better part of two months. And so I get home where neither of my parents are in the medical field. And I'm like, so I'm just supposed to like, how are they going to keep me alive? Like, that's dramatic, but honestly, like, what are we going to do? I'm still hooked up to an IV pole. And so, um, you know, I'd never struggled with anxiety before really. I mean, um, especially or not bad anxiety. I mean, I'm sure I have like had anxiety in, in high school about some things, but, um, I had really bad situational anxiety through that time. And especially after like coming home from the hospital and I had like, a, I remember, um, really my only panic attack that I think I've ever had was like that first night when we had to hook me up to the IV pole and I'm like, okay, this is not okay. And I like, couldn't breathe. And like, I'd never felt this before. And so, um, luckily I have had a great team of doctors who really understood and were kind of confused why the hospitalist didn't send me home on anxiety medication. Cause they're like, this is, you have been through it. And so luckily I was um, able to be on prescription anxiety medicine. Um, and that helped so much. I, and I was only on it for a little bit, but I'm such a huge advocate for if you're going through something like get help, you know, like whether that's talking to somebody or, you know, taking an anxiety medication, you know, one that's like maybe non-habit forming or whatever, you know, but that was, that was a huge, huge helper to me. Um, because I was, I felt like I could breathe again whenever I started taking it. And so my quality of life drastically improved. Yeah. And that makes so much sense when you say that about like the hospital is more comforting just because you know that there's help there, you know, like my nephew spent a lot of time in the hospital early on in his life. And I think that there were times where my sister and my, my brother-in-law were like, when he's in the hospital, we at least know that like he's getting help. And like, if something were to happen, he's got help immediately. Right. So that makes complete sense. I want to go back a, a little bit. Cause you said something about, you know, when you were in college, I just think that so much of this can relate, especially because my target audience, a lot of people that listen are in college might be struggling with like some sort of autoimmune disorder or even just mental health in general. But you said, you know, you had to go through those moments where they're giving out free food and you have to give it to your friend. Like you're losing all this weight. You're struggling. Like you have to make your rice. Like, were you sh feeling comfortable, like sharing this with people? Was it hard to talk about it? I know you said it was definitely not a conversation starter. Like what was your process for like trying to at least like share it with people or be vulnerable? Or was that kind of not really an option? Did you feel like for yourself? I feel like I've probably always been comfortable sharing about it. I don't really remember, especially that like first semester of my freshman year. I don't know that I really remember telling a lot of people about it, mainly because like, even though I had been in the hospital, you know, a couple of times with those blockages, like the bad stuff happened the next semester. And so that's kind of more of the stuff that I I guess felt comfortable talking about, which might seem a little strange, but I have never really had trouble, especially after that being vulnerable, because when I was going through that, I was like, well, if, if I can help somebody by sharing about it, then I'm going to do that. You know, I had, um, one of my friends, grandmothers actually had gone through exactly what I pretty much went through, but like in the seventies. And so, um, she was a, she was a huge help to me and to my family, just our peace of mind. And so, you know, I was like, 
Like if I could be her to other people, which it's funny because we live in a very small town and around that time that I had gotten out of the hospital, um, after having surgery, three kids that were my sister's age, um, she's like five years younger than me were diagnosed with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. And so I was like, well, if I can help them in any way, you know, then I want to. And so that was kind of, I feel like the start of that, but what's interesting is, so at our college, which I assume it's the same with, um, with other colleges, but you have to take like a freshman class where you like, just learn about the school or whatever, however you, you know, how to submit assignments and that kind of stuff. And in my freshman class, there were only like 15 of us. And out of those 15, three of us had rare autoimmune conditions. And so it was very like, it was just so strange because I'm like out of everybody in here, one of them had this really rare condition that, I mean, sometimes she would not be able to walk and like, it was just so strange. And some, one of the other girls had a liver condition. And so when I was hospitalized for one of the bowel blockages that semester, I was, so I went to school in a town called Cleveland, which is about an hour and a half South of Knoxville, which is where my, the hospital was that I was, um, was at. And so when I was hospitalized, they drove an hour and a half both ways to come and see me in the hospital. And so it was just things like that, that you're just like, how did that, how did I even meet these people? Like of all the classes I could have been in and with all the people, you know, all the freshmen, I'm with these two girls. And so we really made a connection that, you know, that year and we didn't always hang out outside. Like we had other friends, um, but you know, it was just nice to know that somebody was there that you could talk to. And so I think it, at that time was probably easier to share with people who more so like understood, but, um, but yeah, I don't really think I've ever had a, a problem sharing. I think, you know, it definitely isn't a conversation starter, but I'm comfortable talking about it. Totally. And I love that. That's been like kind of natural for you. And I think that's something that I hope people start to, and, you know, probably now feel more comfortable sharing with these things. And I'm curious because, you know, I feel like I'm starting to know way more people who are being diagnosed, you know, with Crohn's ulcerative, ulcerative colitis. Wow. That's a hard one to say. Um, but I'm like, I am learning more people who are being diagnosed with this. And I know you said you were misdiagnosed. One of my friends who's really close to me, she was actually on the podcast as well to talk about this a while back. She was misdiagnosed several times. Um, do you think that it's becoming, you know, is there more awareness? Is there, you know, more research that's going into it? Is there opportunity for that? Like where, how can we get to the right direction where it is being, you know, properly diagnosed if you even know the answer to that? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the biggest issue is that it presents itself differently in everybody. And so, you know, my, so my mom actually has it. And yeah. And so she was diagnosed when she was 40. So she was, that's rare to be diagnosed so late in life. Mm -hmm. But, um, so she was diagnosed when she was 40 and I guess that was like eight years before I was diagnosed, but we had such different symptoms. We never would have thought that that's what I had. You know, she had one surgery and has never had another problem. And it's been 14 years, you know, she's been fine. She actually just had a scope this week and it showed no sign of any sort of inflammation or anything. And so it's just weird how it presents itself. I know one of the other kids that was in um, our hometown that was diagnosed, like they thought he had Lyme disease, you know? And so it's just, you're, you, people go misdiagnosed so much and also people get diagnosed with the wrong autoimmune disease. So mm-hmm. like I said, he thought he had Lyme disease. And so, you know, it, it just presents itself so differently. Like for me, 
yes, my main symptom was stomach pain, but I also had weird fevers and like, didn't feel good and couldn't ever kick like colds or, you know, one time I had the flu and I, it took me like a month to get over it. And so it was just weird. And now I feel like it is better known. And so when that does happen, I think doctors know really to look out for it, but yeah, at the time, I mean, it, that was kind of the turning point. I feel like 2015, 2016, where people started becoming more aware of autoimmune diseases. Um, and now I feel like if somebody was like not feeling well for an extended period of time, after seeing all the commercials, you know, online and stuff, um, you know, I feel like they would, you know, maybe think, you know, that it could be autoimmune, Maybe if you, I mean, Googled and went on like WebMD, you know, your symptoms might pop up now, whereas eight years ago, they might not have because it can just be so different and so strange. I mean, there have been people that have Crohn's disease that, you know, don't even have stomach symptoms at all. And so it's just, it's just, you just never know. And so I think that is why I went misdiagnosed for, I guess, really three years because, my symptoms weren't really consistent with what most people have, but you know, everybody is just so different. So, yeah, I mean, I don't really know the answer to how can we, you know, bring more awareness to it, but I feel like doctors now probably are better trained because you have to remember like these doctors that are diagnosing you with this probably didn't learn about it in medical school. If they went to medical school 20 years ago, because they weren't a huge thing back then. And so I think everybody's kind of learning as we go. Totally. And I think just talking about it like this, right. And like continuously having these conversations. I mean, again, once my friend started sharing about her experience and now I've had, you know, a couple other friends sharing about their experiences when I would have, and I, I had like a little gas issue that went, and I went straight to, you know, a, a GI, you know, I went to the, the doctor that specializes in that because I knew that if I'm having this consistent stomach pain, we should check out all of the options and make sure that, you know, this could, this can at least be ruled out because it is, you know, scary. And it's, it's a lot for someone to go through. Do they think it's genetic? I mean, your mom had it, you had it. I know people probably ask you that all the time, but yeah, I mean, it's so weird because when my mom was diagnosed, like I said, that was like 14, 15 years ago. And so that it was even less prevalent then. And so, you know, I remember she was saying like, I just hope I don't pass it to the girls. And they were like, well, no, I I really don't think it's hereditary. And so there's no data to my knowledge that it's hereditary. I think it's probably more so, I mean, they call them now diseases of lifestyle. And so it could be common that a sibling might have it or your mom, because you likely live the same lifestyle. And so So, you know, you're eating the same foods, you're exposed to the same chemicals, whatever it is, you know, so I don't know. I mean, I think that, um, there's this saying, it's like genetics load the gun, but lifestyle pulls the trigger. And so even though you might be more predisposed to it, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have it. I mean, like my other sister is totally fine and has never had any sort of symptoms. So I don't know, I guess it could be, but I think it's probably more lifestyle. That makes sense. Awesome. Well, this was really, you know, enlightening and just really so, you know, awesome that you were willing to share all that. I know it's, it's probably hard, obviously you're starting and you're comfortable sharing it, which is so awesome and will help so many people. I want to hear a little bit about your podcast and kind of what you've been able to now do with these challenges that you've experienced to now go out and help people. And the fact that you knew that even when you were going through it, you're like, if I can help other people, that's so cool. Like that is just such a gift that you have naturally. Cause I feel like most people, it takes, you know, stepping out of it and looking back 
back and then realizing, okay, now I can help people, but you were going through it and you were thinking, if I can share about this, I can help people. So what have you now done through your podcast and other, you know, things that you're offering that the listeners can hear about maybe if, if they resonate and want to go listen further? Yeah, definitely. Well, so kind of to start off, I, um, during that time in like 2016, after I'd had my first surgery, but was kind of waiting around to have my second surgery. Um, I was really bored. Like I didn't have anything to do and my friends were in college and I was at home and like, I was just kind of bored. And one of my mom's friends brought over some essential oils. And this was also kind of when I was having a lot of anxiety, I wasn't able to really sleep at night because I was still hooked up to an IV pole. And so, Um, she brought over some lavender and put it in a diffuser. And like, I just felt my whole body relax. And so um, from that, I actually started like a little side hustle. Then I don't really do it anymore, but through college, I sold essential oils. And so that was kind of my first introduction to like holistic, um, you know, healing stuff. And so um, it's, it's funny cause I majored in accounting. So I, you know, I'm an accountant by trade, but, um, got my MBA and then decided to go back to nutrition school. And, you know, so I went to the Institute for integrative nutrition, which is, um, an integrative nutrition program. So instead of just looking at like the food you eat, it looks at everything. It looks at your whole lifestyle. And so it's really like the holistic way of life. And, I absolutely loved the program. It was a year long. I did it. Um, I actually started the day that the country shut down from COVID. And so that was like my start date. And so um, it was online. Um, But anyways, it was a year long. And when I graduated, I was like a certified holistic health coach. And I'm like, well, I don't know what I want to do now. And so um, I, you know, created a website and started kind of health coaching just a little bit. I, I knew it was never something that I wanted to do full time, the health coaching portion of it. Um, so I started developing recipes, um, for fitness apps. And so that's kind of what I've done since then. And then, yes, I just launched a podcast. And so, um, I love podcasts. I always have, I, I remember being in college and wanting to start one and I'm glad I didn't because who knows what I would have talked about. I didn't have like any sort of vision towards it at all, but, um, finally this year, I sort of honed in on what I wanted to talk about because, I think a lot of times when I'm being interviewed or I gravitate more towards uh, people who have kind of done things a little bit differently and maybe, you know, started out as one thing and took a different career path. And so my podcast is called So Can I, and um, it's just a place where I interview entrepreneurs um, and hopefully my listeners leave thinking, well, if she can do it, then so can I. And so that's kind of where it comes from, but I love it so much and it's everything that I thought it would be. And we launched, um, I guess two months ago, I think, yeah, I think it was in, in June, the middle of June. And I got a notification last night that we had surpassed a thousand listens, which I was like freaking out about. Cause I never thought, I mean, and I know a lot of people have huge podcasts that get, you know, thousands of listens per episode, but I'm like, this is a huge milestone for me. And, you know, I didn't start out with a huge audience. Like I, I mean, I'm just like a normal girl who's, you know, trying to do this. And so, yeah, that was really, really exciting to get that email yesterday, but, um, but yeah, so I love it so much. And, I don't know. I've gotten a lot of good feedback, especially from like the guests, you know, my listeners really love hearing their stories. And so, yeah, I love it so much. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. And it's, it's huge. Yeah. It's definitely a space that's like, feels like a lot of people are in it, but I've always been told, um, that it's, it's all about those, those singular people that you're impacting. Like they're the ones that really are there. They want to listen. And like, it doesn't matter about how many and a thousand is huge, 
but it, yeah, it's like, those are those people think of how many people that is when you look at a room, you know, if they were all sitting there, you'd be so excited. So, um, that's awesome. And congratulations on, on launching. It's a huge deal and so exciting. And, you know, I feel like it aligns you, even just your title aligns so much with, with you. Like if you can get through what you got through, like, so can everyone else who's gone through that as well. So thank you so much, Lauren, for sharing your story, for coming on the show. It was so fun getting to know you and, and learning more about you and being so vulnerable. So I just really appreciate your time. 